0: Welcome to The Way Church Service with Pastor John. We invite you to join us at 514 Smithfield Avenue in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. This podcast is presented to you by The Way Ministries, supported by listeners like you. For donations, live videos, podcasts, and more, please visit www.TheWayMinistriesRI.org. Thank you and have a great day.
1: Good morning, Greystone. Good morning. Welcome to the Way Church service at Greystone. I would like to thank everyone for coming out this morning to get a portion of God's word. First and foremost, I'd like to thank our risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, Amen. <clears throat> for making this all possible for us by going to the cross, shedding His blood for the forgiveness of our sins, and becoming the final sacrifice for our sins. So we could have a new life, eternal life, spiritual life, and a new purpose here on planet earth. For all who believe in the one and only Son of God. We gather here to learn about our Creator and find our purpose here. And use it to glorify God and to serve Jesus our Lord and Savior and one another. Our goal, this ministry has a specific goal and that is to grow spiritually and start to handle life God's way. Not our way. God's word, which is the Bible, becomes the owner's manual to our lives. And we use it to see how God wants us to live, think, act, serve, and how to treat ourselves and others. Thank you, Jesus. Each part of his body is very precious to God. One body, many parts. parts. We're all part of the same body, and we all belong to each other. I want to personally welcome each and every one of you to the way. We depend on God's grace, not our own power to accomplish his will for our lives. And if you do have a cell phone, can you please silence it so it does not disturb this morning's service? And we will start off with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly, gracious Father, thank you for allowing us to gather together this morning, Lord, to worship, honor, and glorify you, Lord, and place your name above all names, Lord, even our own, as all of us fight to put you first in our lives, Lord, Help us, Lord, to become more and more like you, Lord, by denying ourselves for your glory, Lord, knowing that you saved us, gave us your spirit, and gave us a new life and a new purpose here, Lord. Thank you for getting us all here safely, Father. I pray for the people that can't be here, that they get a chance to listen through the live feed, to listen and hear what the spirit is trying to say to the church this morning, Lord. And just thank you for the assembly and all the faithful people, for the core of this ministry to keep it going. We all need each other for this to function properly, Lord. And as always, let everything we do this morning be led by your spirit, Father, and not our flesh. And it's in Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen and amen. Okay, we're all going to stand. Brittany is going to come up and sing. And we are going to get started. Thanks, Brittany. That was beautiful. Awesome. How's everybody doing this morning, okay? All right. I got to get a smile off all of you before I start. Come on. We're all happy to be alive this morning, right? We all have the Lord, and heaven is our home. Guaranteed. Amen? All right. Greystone is alive and well this morning. So I want to know if anybody noticed the subtle changes we did or done this morning. Does anybody see what we did up there a little bit? you see the cross right they put some stained glass bulbs in there and how about over here we lit them up we lit up the stained glass yeah me and my brother rigged something up to get that going so (laughs) the sign outside right beautiful right amen one body Many parts, are all part of this Get this going Amen, so I notice you notice, that's good People are vigilant, that's good Alright, this morning we have a scripture here that Mary wrote We're going to start there this morning John 3, verse 16 A very familiar verse We'll back up a little to 14 There's not enough room on the blackboard Just a reminder, the Holy Spirit is going to be taking over as I read the Word of God, so please be attentive to that. Try not to do anything that will cause a distraction, that might try to take us out of the Spirit. Amen? Okay, thank you. All right, verse 14 of John chapter 3. I'll give everybody a moment to get there. We are going to be flipping through the Bible this morning, so be ready. John chapter three, verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world Not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. How about a big amen for that one? Thank you, Jesus, for not judging us. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And verse 19 tells us, and the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world. But people love darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it, for their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light, so others can see that they are doing what God wants. Amen? Awesome. So what is it? When we do the right thing, we want everybody to see that. But when we do the wrong thing, we shut the lights off. We want everything done in the darkness. So we understand that. God came in the world to shed light on us, give us truth and salvation, so we don't have to hide anymore and run from our sins anymore. He cleansed us from all that. Amen? Thank you, Jesus, for doing for us what we can never, ever do for ourselves. And this morning, we are going to talk on a very awesome topic. We're going to talk about understanding God's grace this morning. It's a very big, big misconception in the churches today about God's grace. So this morning we are gonna learn it and understand it and see what it really is and what it really isn't. Can I get any men for that? Let me shut this off. I'm gonna freeze everybody out. I start to catch fire up here. Once the Holy Spirit takes over, I can't help it. So, all right. Understanding God's grace. Okay. Grace is the unmerited favor of God, okay? God pours out his favor upon sinners like us who deserve the worst. The Father gave his Son the punishment that we deserve. Grace can be summed up as God's riches at Christ's expense. Okay, so let's define grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. The definition of grace is unmerited divine assistance Given to humans for their regeneration and sanctification. A virtue coming from God. A state of sanctification enjoyed through divine assistance. God is the one who bestows grace upon grace over us so we can actually carry out his will for us. Amen? That's why he gives us. Okay? Grace is a constant theme in the Bible and it culminates in the New Testament with the coming of Jesus, like it tells us in John 1.17. The word translated grace in the New Testament comes from the Greek word charis, which means favor, blessing, or kindness. We can all extend grace to others, but when the word grace is used in connection with God, it takes on a more powerful meaning. Grace is God choosing to bless us rather than curse us as our sin deserves. It is his benevolence to the undeserving. In Ephesians 2, chapter 8, you don't have to go there yet because I'm just going to read this, give you a little topic, and then we'll go to the scriptures. It says, by grace you've been saved through faith and not of yourself. The only way any of us can enter into a relationship with God is because of his grace toward us. Grace began in the Garden of Eden when God killed an animal to cover the sin of Adam and Eve. Like it tells us in Genesis 3:21. He could have killed the first humans right then and there for their disobedience. But rather than destroy them, he chose to make a way for them to be right with him. The pattern of grace continued throughout the Old Testament when God instituted blood sacrifices as a means to atone, cleanse sinners. It was the grace of God that forgave those who trusted in him, like it tells us in Hebrews 10:4, Genesis 15:6. Sinful men showed their faith by offering the sacrifices that God required. The Apostle Paul began many of his letters with the phrase, Grace and peace to you from our God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. God is the instigator of grace, and it is from him that all other grace flows. God showed both mercy and grace, but they are not the same. Okay? Okay? Mercy withholds a punishment we deserve. Grace gives a blessing we don't deserve. In mercy, God chose to cancel our sin debt by sacrificing his perfect son in our place, like it tells us in Titus 3, 2 Corinthians 5. But he goes even further than mercy and extends grace to his enemies, like it tells us in Romans 5.10. He offers us forgiveness, reconciliation, an abundant life, eternal treasure, his Holy Spirit, and a place in heaven with him someday. When we accept his offer and place our faith in his sacrifice, like it says in John three sixteen, God's grace is given the greatest treasure to the least deserving, which is every one of us. Amen? All right. God's grace is power over sin. We're going to understand grace today. We're going to get a good concept of this. Can I get an amen for this? You with me so far? We're going to learn how powerful God's grace is when we use it in the proper context. God's grace is sometimes lost within our sin. We can have victory over sin if we see God's grace for what it truly is. His grace does not empower us to sin. We do not sin to obtain more grace. The natural person cannot live the Christian life without God's grace. It is impossible to live all God's will and plan for your life without grace, like it tells us in Matthew 26, verse 41, it tells us, keep watch and pray, so that you will not give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We all know that our flesh is weak, we all want to do the right thing, but we find ourselves doing the wrong thing. And we're going to explain this, and we're going to get a good grasp of this today, this morning. The natural man's weakness, okay, is being subject to sinful and sinful behavior. With the acceptance of Jesus Christ as a personal Savior, his power and grace through the Holy Spirit allows us to live in a Christ-like manner. His grace provides us to equalize and to combat sin in order that sin will have no power over us. God's grace is what allows us to say no to sin, amen. God's help. God helps us to meet any and all of our needs, including the delivery from sin in our lives. You can't run away from God's grace, thank God. Grace can't be stopped. God's love for the ungodly cannot be contained. His grace penetrates our hearts until we say, enough. If I don't get to the cross today, I'll never get to it. God's grace never quits. Every good thing in this life is by God's grace. All our accomplishments are by his grace alone. People say you can't do God's work without the grace of God. I say you can do nothing without the grace of God. Without his grace, you wouldn't be able to breathe this morning, my brothers and sisters. Grace gives no stipulations. Jesus ripped your contract in half. You're free. Go to Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. It tells us clearly, we're going to read the scripture, Colossians 2.14, get there. I'm getting warmed up now. You ready for this? I laid the groundwork and now we're going to carry this through. It's probably going to take more than one message to get the clarity of this, but let the Spirit speak. In Colossians 2.14, it tells us when Christ died on the cross, he took away our debt. By the blood of Christ, there is no more legal debt. Grace has won the battle against sin. All right, is everybody in Colossians two verse 13 let's go there. Tells us clearly, Apostle Paul telling the Colossians, Apostle Paul telling Greystone this morning, you were dead because of your sins. And because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. How did he do that? He forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. What he did, every past, present, and future sin, nailed to that cross and they are washed away. God sees you like he sees his son today, pure and blameless in his sight. Can I get an amen for that? We can't work for it. He worked for us and he gave us that through his grace and mercy. Grace is not simply leniency when we have sinned. Grace is the enabling gift of God not to sin. Grace is power, not just pardon. God's grace is given not because we have done good works, but in order that we may be able to do them. God's grace means that all your mistakes now serve a purpose instead of serving shame. If grace does not make a difference from other people, it is not the grace which God gives his children. Most laws condemn the soul and pronounce sentence. The result of the law of my God is perfect. It condemns but forgives. It restores more than abundantly what it takes away. We're going to take a look at the story of Jesus and Barabbas this morning. Chapter 23 of Luke. Let's go there. I'm going to lay a little groundwork and then we're going to read the scripture. This is one of the most jaw-dropping chapters in the Bible. Barabbas was a rebel, a violent murderer, and a known criminal among the people. Pontius Pilate found that Jesus was not guilty of any crime. He looked for a way to be free, to free Jesus. It was blasphemy. It was ludicrous. Jesus did nothing wrong. Jesus raised the dead. He delivered people, he fed the hungry, he healed the sick, he opened the eyes of the blind, the same people who were with him in the beginning were chanting, crucify him, crucify him. Luke chapter 23, we're going to start in verse 14. And he announced this verdict. You brought this man to me, accusing him of leading a revolt. I have examined him thoroughly on this point in your presence and find him innocent. Herod came to the same conclusion and sent him back to us. Nothing this man has done calls for the death penalty. So I will have him flogged and then I will release him. Now some manuscripts add verse 17 Now it was necessary for him to release one prisoner to them during the Passover celebration. Verse 18, Then a mighty roar rose from the crowd, and with one voice they shouted, Kill him and release Barabbas to us. Barabbas was imprisoned for taking part in an insurrection in Jerusalem against the government and for murder. Pilate argued with them because he wanted to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! For the third time he demanded, why? What a crime has he committed? I have found no reason to sentence him to death, so I will have him flogged, and then I will release him. But the mob shouted louder and louder, demanding that Jesus be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate sentenced Jesus to die, as they demanded... As they requested, he released Barabbas, the man in prison, for the insurrection and murder. But he turned Jesus over to them to do as they wish. Wow. Imagine. He was a revolutionary and murderer. They said, release him and kill the innocent man. That's how twisted sin is. That's how twisted religion is. Pilate declares Jesus' innocence not once, but twice. But three times. The mob of people had a choice of who they wanted to set free between Jesus and the wicked Barabbas. The mob screamed for Barabbas to be set free. Let's take a moment to think about what Barabbas does. Okay? He knows he's a criminal, but he is set free by the gods. That is grace. Can I get amen for that? He gets set free by the gods. That is unmerited favor. There is no mention of Barabbas being grateful and there is no mention of him thanking Jesus. There is no record of what happens to Barabbas but there is a strong chance that he went on to live a perverted life even though Christ took his place. Don't you see the gospel? You're Barabbas. I'm Barabbas. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus loved Barabbas. He set Barabbas free and Jesus took his place. Picture yourself being Barabbas. Picture yourself being set free while Jesus looks in your eye and says, I love you. Picture Christ then walking ahead of you being whipped and beaten. Barabbas, look at your Savior bloodied and batted. Jesus did nothing to deserve such a beating. He was sinless. Put your sins on his back because of his great love for you. No wonder we don't hear about Barabbas. Jesus says, go i set you free. Now go, run, get out of here. We are Barabbas, and Jesus says, I've set you free. I've saved you from the wrath to come. I love you. Most people are going to reject such an amazing act of grace. Most people are going to reject the Son of God and remain in chains. However, for those who put their trust in what Jesus did on the cross, they are given the right To become the children of God. How about a big amen for that? That is love. That is grace. By the blood of Christ alone. Wicked people can be reconciled to God. Run Barabbas. Run from the shackles that say you must do good works. To be right with God. You can't repay him. Run from the shackles of sin. Repent and believe that Jesus took his place. Your place. Rely on his blood. Rely on his perfect merit and not your own, his blood is enough. How about an amen for that? You have to do nothing. Go to me to Romans chapter 5. Now I wonder if any of us thought of us as being like the rabbis. Oh, we all are. Jesus died for us. We're all sinners. Saved by his grace. Without his grace we'd be dead in our sins. Look at Romans 5 verse 8. How do I know this? Because the Bible tells me. The Bible tells you. Verse 8. That's why the Bible is our owner's manual. The Bible tells us what our faith is, not about feelings. The devil is going to always try to make us feel condemned for what we do and what we did and what we're going to continue to do. But God said, my grace covers that. And we're going to use it in its proper place and understand how powerful it really is. But God showed, verse 8, Romans 5, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us. Why? While we were still sinners. Grace changes you. By the grace of God, Believers are transformed. In pulpits across America, a cheap grace is being promoted. This cheap grace does not have the power to set believers free from sin. The cheap grace says, just believe and get saved. Who cares about repentance? We treat the grace of God as if it were nothing, as if it were powerless. It is the grace of God that turns a murderer like Paul into a saint. It is the grace of God that turns a greedy chief tax collector by the name of Zacchaeus into a saint. Luke chapter 19. Is everybody with me so far this morning? Amen. Pay attention. When Jesus touched someone's life, he transformed them. In the Bible, they were so different that their names changed. That's how different they were from their conversion, the transformation. They were new creations. Look at verse 1 of Luke 19. We're going to get this right, church. We're going to get it right. Verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. (laughs) So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, "Quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today." Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus into his house to his house in great excitement and joy, But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner." They grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, "Listen now. I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I had cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Did Jesus ask him to do anything? No, nope. he just heard, he just, Jesus touched him and he said, I'm a wretched sinner. From what I've done, I'm going to repay it back. Jesus changed him in an instant when he heard him. Look what it says. Look what Jesus said now. This is the catch. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. What do you mean, come on? Why did it come to his home today? Because he knew who he was, and when he seen Jesus, he changed. He transformed. He got saved. Who did he get saved from? He got saved from himself. Who do you think he saves us from? He saves us from our wretched selves, our sin nature. Some of us might say, oh, well, I'm not that bad. I'm a good person. The Bible tells us clearly, no one is good. No, not one. All of fall short of the glory of God. You can try to compare yourself to other people and say, well, I'm doing better than they are, but you compare yourself to Jesus, we're all in the same boat here. Can I get an amen for this? Nobody's better than anybody else. We're all sinners, and the only way we can get saved is by believing in Jesus Christ and letting him change us. Now look what it says. Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. What is the evidence of salvation, my brothers and sisters? A changed life is the evidence of salvation. Your life will change. You will not change in an instant, but in in God's eyes, heaven is your home guaranteed, when you believe in him. But the sanctification process all the way till you go home and be with him, he's going to work on you every day and change you. And he's never going to give up on us. Something starts to happen to us. We start to have a desire to want to know God. We start to have a desire to read the Bible. We start to have a desire to go to church. And there's nothing in us. It's God puts that desire in us. And then we have this flesh telling us, no, you're tired, you got to work. This, that. And the Bible tells us, seek the kingdom above all else, and all these things will be added unto you. If you put God first in your life, he'll give you everything back, and you'll add no sorrows to it. And what, what, what he won't give back is what you don't need. Amen? He'll take it away. The good Lord give it, and the good Lord take it away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen? Are we getting this so far? That's the evidence. How do wicked people living like the devil their whole life miraculously just change? You're looking at one. Me and the devil used to be like this. What happened? He broke me all the way to the bottom. I looked up. Jesus came and said, I'm, I'm going to make something out of you. I knew how wretched I was. I said, how, how could you use someone like me? He said, That's the people I use. People who know that they're nothing and sinners. From the pit to the pulpit. Nothing in me. Why has the church of Jesus Christ forgotten the power of grace? Yeah. Better? Okay. I'm, I'm on camera, so. People judge by outside appearance, but God looks at the heart. Unfortunately, people ain't looking into my heart. They're looking how I look. So, whatever it takes. Amen? Why has the church of Jesus Christ forgotten the power of grace? False believers say, I'm under grace, I could live like the devil. Genuine believers say, if grace be this good, let me be holy. There is a genuine desire for righteousness. There is a genuine desire to follow Christ. We obey not out of obligation, but out of thankfulness and love for the amazing grace that was shown to us on the cross. You remember how wicked you were before Christ? You were in chains. You were a prisoner of your sins. You were lost and you were never trying to be found. An innocent man took away your chains. The God man, Jesus Christ, took away your death sentence. The God man, Jesus Christ, gave you a new life. You did nothing to deserve such a great and powerful gift. We have watered down the gospel, and when you water down the gospel, you get in return a watered-down grace. Salvation is not saying a prayer. After many people say the sinner's prayer, they go straight to hell. How dare these preachers water down the blood of Jesus Christ? A, A grace that doesn't change your life and give you new affections and desires for Christ is not saving grace or salvation at all. Can I get an amen for this? Go with me to uh, Titus chapter 2. Is everybody with me so far? Amen. We're going to get the grace of God right and it's going to change our lives. It's going to change how we think, how we act. All of us. Look at uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people, or offering salvation to all people. And look what it says in verse 12. And we are instructed, To turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. This is the Bible. This is God. This is what he's speaking. We are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and a devotion to God. While we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. And why did he give us life? Look what it says in verse 14. Listen, let the Bible speak to us this morning, brothers and sisters. He gave us his life. Why did Jesus give us his life? To free us from every kind of sin. Can I get amen for that? He gave his life for that. To cleanse us and to make us his very own people totally committed to doing good deeds. Now, everybody says, well, I don't have to do works to get saved. No, you do good deeds as a result, as the fruit of your salvation. All that changes is the motive and the perception. We do it because we love God. We don't do it because we have to. We do it because we want to. We don't stop doing good works. We show good works with a changed heart. We do it because we want to, not our obligation to any religious activity. Now it says it right here totally committed to doing good deeds. And look what it says in verse 15. You must teach these things and encourage the believers to do them. You have the authority to correct them when necessary, so don't let anyone disregard what you say. Can I get an amen for this? This is what the Bible tells us. God's grace is to empower you to deny sin and live for Him. It helps us to live with self-control through the Holy Spirit. The flesh alone can only follow Satan and commit sinful behavior. Grace is the great equalizer that gives you the choice and the ability to reject sin in such as a way that the flesh cannot do. You do not have to succumb to the ways of the world. God has called you to a higher place, and he expects you to step up to it. He wants you to live godly today and not wait until tomorrow to do it. The purpose of grace is to live a victorious Christian life. Can I get an amen for this? God is always present and sufficient to meet our needs. It doesn't mean that we will necessarily be comfortable in our new way of living, but he wants us to live in a way that he will be glorified. Go with me now to Romans chapter 6. Paul's going to give us the analogy of what human beings think like I never really understood how powerful God's grace was until I, until I actually understood what, it really, what it's really for. And you're going to learn what it's really for and you're going to get some power. How many of you want some power this morning? You're going to get it. I'm here to empower you to live a life worthy of your call. Look at verse 1. Here's the, here's the human reasoning. Well then, Should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how could we continue to live in it? Now look what it says in verse 6. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ. Why? So that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. Go to verse 12. Look what it says here. Do not let sin control the way you live, which is subject to death. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Now God switches it up. He says instead of that, it's called removal and replacement. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. Now I'm going to ask you, have you given yourself completely to God? Because it tells us that's what we have to do to overcome that. Instead, give yourself completely to God, it says, right? You, for, for you were dead, but now you have a new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right. For who? For the glory of God. Look at verse 14. Sin is no longer your master. Listen to what it says now. Listen to what it's saying here. Sin is no longer your master. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Of any outside religious activity. Instead. You live under the freedom. Of God's grace. What's the freedom of God's grace? The freedom not to succumb to your sin nature. And the ability to say no to it. And yes to the spirit. That sets us free of that. That's what his grace does. Where sin abounded, my, my grace much more abounded. You cannot out-sin God's grace. His grace covers it. Now, look what it says. Well then, look at verse 15. Here it is, human reason again. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Look at verse 16. Don't you realize that you become the slave? of whatever you choose to obey, it's a choice. Jesus came, came into your life, and now he gives you a choice to do right. Where you couldn't do right in the flesh, now in the spirit, through Jesus Christ, you can do right, and you can say no to the flesh. Now it says right here, you can be a slave to sin, as a believer, which is going to lead to death. Or you can choose, listen now, every day you get up, you have a choice to make, or you can choose to obey God. What does obeying, obeying God lead to? Righteous living, a changed life. Right? Thank God. Once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin and have become slaves to righteous living. What does that mean? It means, you know, sometimes your flesh wants to do something, but then the Holy Spirit comes into your house and says, I can't do it. I can't. I just can't do it. Now you're a slave to do the right thing. You know you want to do something bad, but something inside you says, eh, no, do the right thing. That's the Holy Spirit. Take amen for this. Thank you. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Are we getting this? Getting this? Well, we're going to get it. I put the time in so I can help everybody understand this. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Go to verse 1. Now, Apostle Paul defending himself here. In in, in talking to all believers. As God's partners, or as we work together, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness or God's grace and then ignore it. For God says, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. And he's quoting Isaiah 49, verse 8. Indeed, the right time is now, today, is the day of salvation. Verse 3, Paul's hardships. Look what he says. This is how Paul lived. We live in such a way that no one will stumble because of us. And no one will find fault with our ministry. How important is it for a ministry to live like that, a good faultless life, and the congregation, so no one will find fault with the ministry? Believe me, when you leave here, you still represent the way ministry. When you're here, when you're not here, you represent we're all part of the same body. So when you think of doing something that's off, say, you know what, I'm not going to do that because I don't want the ministry to suffer for what I'm going to do. Okay, get an amen for this. We have to understand it's not about us. It's about him and his people. Now it says right here, in everything we do, verse 4, we show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. We have been beaten, put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, and gone without no food. We prove ourselves by our purity, our understanding, our patience, and our kindness by the Holy Spirit. How do they prove themselves? Our purity, understanding. See it? Patience, our kindness by the Holy Spirit within us or by the holiness of spirit and by our sincere love. That's how we show people that we belong, that we belong to a ministry and love the Lord. We faithfully preach the truth. God's power is working in us. We use the weapons of righteousness in the right hand for attack in the left hand for defense. We serve God whether people honor us or despise us. Whether they slander us or praise us. We are honest, but they call us impostors. We are ignored even though we are well known. We live close to death, but we are still alive. We have been beaten, but we have not been killed. Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. Listen, believer. If you really understand what Jesus did to you, your heart can ache all day long, but you still have joy. What he did for you. We are poor, but we have we give spiritual riches to others. You are getting spiritual riches that your money cannot buy. This morning, my brothers and sisters, the Bible gives us spiritual riches that you think you can get from the outside world that they never, never fulfill. We own nothing, yet we have everything. Apostle Paul said, owning things, possessions only causes problems and responsibilities. It doesn't bring us freedom and joy. Go to Colossians chapter 1. You getting a grasp of this this morning? Getting a little taste of God's grace? It's delicious. God's grace is delicious. And the devil is going to try to take that from you when you fail, and we will fail, Colossians chapter 1, look at verse 20, Colossians chapter 1 verse 20, and through him, Jesus, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth. How? By the means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you, who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, listen to this now, he has brought you into his own presence. Listen to this now. Listen to this truth. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Do you see Jesus sees you completely? God sees you just like his son right now. He doesn't see your sins. He doesn't see what your sins are going to commit. All he sees is his son. It says it right here. You are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. How about an amen for that? Now the devil tries to tell you. How can God be happy with you, what you just did, what you just said, the way you just did, the way you're praying, how selfish and greedy you are? He says, yeah, Jesus died for that. I'm not saved by what I do. I'm saved by what I believe. Can I get an amen for this? Believe me, if it goes by, we can never work our way into heaven. and never, We never work to get into heaven and you can't work to stay in heaven. The works that we do are the fruit of our salvation because we want to do them, not because we have to. You can choose to do whatever you want. You could either enjoy the trip, or you could have a rocky road all the way into heaven. But either way, you're going to make it. I could use this analogy of two people on a jet going to Florida. I used this before. The first guy, he trusts the pilot. He's They're flying. They're going to Florida. He's sleeping, enjoying the trip. He put his headphones on, listening to music. The other guy that doesn't trust the pilot, he's looking out the window when the turbulence are coming, he's going like this, looking around. What's going to happen to me? Both of them get there safely. Who enjoyed the trip? The guy who trusted the pilot. You want to enjoy the trip in this Christian life? You have to trust the pilot, Jesus. If you don't trust him, you're like this. Waving and faltering over everything. Worry, fear, despair, anxiety, fear, guilt, shame. But when you trust the pilot, you're stable all the way to heaven. Can I get any amen for this? And that's what we're trying to we're trying to achieve that. And we achieve that by believing in Jesus and what he's teaching us in the word of God to trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Not only do you have to trust it, but you have to obey it and do what it tells you to do. You with me so far? Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I got about five minutes. Don't let me lose you here. I think the devil fast forwarded that clock. (laughs) It's already over. I feel like I'm just starting. I could preach all day, but then some of you might fall out the window or something. You know, and fall asleep. And Paul had to bring it back to life. He kept preaching and preaching and preaching and preaching and preaching. God, give me a gift. I'm long-winded. <laughs> all right. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're supposed to enjoy service. We're supposed to. We want to come to church. We don't have to come to church. We want to come to church. How about an amen for that? We love the Lord and His people. That's why we're here. No other reason. Second Corinthians five verse seventeen. Look what it says. It means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And look what it says. How did this happen? And all of this is a gift from God. A gift, a gift, a gift. Who brought us back to himself through Christ. And what does God, after he saves us, what is? why does he save us? And he has given us this task of reconciling people to him. What is that? What does every believer's duty to do? It's to bring people back to Jesus. And if you can't talk about Jesus, the next thing is to be like him. So they can see Christ living in you. And then you see the pews fill up with people. Because your goal, you have a different mission when you get up today. You're not living for yourself anymore. You're living for him. And when you see that, then you see the pews filling. Because one body and many parts were all accountable to bring people into his kingdom. Very simple. How many of us say, they get up in the morning and do my will. Or well, they get in the morning and say, I'm going to do God's will. As soon as they get up, they do theirs. Do you realize God goes ahead of you and sets up the day for you? Everything you come across during the day, God put there for you. To train you and grow you and help you bring others into the kingdom. He goes ahead of you. He owns you. Look, at, look it says, there's no sin so great that God's grace can't forgive it. I want you to understand that. You cannot own sin as grace. Believers do not desire to sin. We do not practice sin. We wage war against sin. With these things taken into consideration, that does not mean that we won't have severe battles against sin or that we can't backslide. There is a difference between genuinely struggling with sin and having a hunger for righteousness and being dead in sin than using God's grace to continue to willfully keep sinning. There are many believers who are fighting an intense battle. The struggle is real. But never forget that God's powerful grace is real as well and more powerful than sin. How about a big amen for that? Last, last verse, 1 John chapter 3. We're going to close here. and We're going to continue with this message. Not only are you going to be understanding God's grace, but you're going to love it and want to live that way when I'm done with you. Because you're going to understand how powerful it really is. We we don't understand the power God has given us. We have to understand what it is in order for us to be able to use it properly. And that's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you an understanding so you can use this power that God put into everyone. Do you realize each one of us has resurrection power? The power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in each one of us. The devil doesn't want you to think you have that power. You do. You're born with that power now. You're born again. 1 John 3, verse 9. <clears throat> Look what it says. Fact. I'm going to talk, a, this is going to be a fact. Now, you listen to what I'm going to tell you tonight, this morning. This is a fact. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life or because his seed is in them. Now, there's a difference between living in sin and falling into sin. All of us have sins of weakness. You get up one morning, you snap at someone. You get up sometimes, you're angry. You're bitter, you have a hard day at work, you snap at someone. But that's not something that we do all the time. We're not living that way in total rebellion against God. We have, have sins of weakness, but we're talking. He's talking about we don't make a practice of sinning. It's not like I get up every morning and say God's grace covers it. I can't wait to go do what I want. There's a difference. That's not what God's grace is, and you are not saved. Trust me. You're not saved. And look what it says. Because the seed is in them, so they can't keep on sinning. Why can't they keep sinning? You get the conscience. Your Holy Spirit is in you, stopping you. It's like a little... Eh. You know that game operation when you try to pick the bone off out of the thing? goes, eh, The buzzer goes off. That's what it is when we're trying. The Holy Spirit is in us, convicting us. It talks to our conscience to do not to do it. It doesn't sit right with us anymore. Even though we might continue to do it sometimes, we don't like it. We don't want it in our lives anymore. We're done with it. Remember how the people in uh, Israel, they wanted quail? Because we want quail? I'm going to give you quail. They gave them so much quail that they threw it up. It's the same thing with our sin. You want your sin? God will give you so much of your sin that you'll hate it and want to get out of it. He'll let you fall into it until you get sick of it. Because the whole goal is to hate sin. See, if you like sin, you're going to keep doing it. But if you hate sin, you're not going to want to do it anymore. Can I get any amen? It's a new desire. Now it says, so they can't keep on sinning because they're children of God. Verse 10. So now we can tell who are the children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. You hear it? Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. That's the Bible, my friends. All right, we're going to stop there. Okay, we're going to stand. Brittany is going to come up and sing. you want to come up and close the prayer this morning, thank you. Let's pray. Our Lord, thank you very much for this opportunity to be in your house, to be with fellow Christians, to hear the words that you have inspired Pastor John. We hope that we will take this message with us throughout the week. We ask for your blessings upon us. Amen.
0: Amen.